Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITO Coaching and Performance. This is George, and we appreciate your downloading us once again. It's news week, and we're going to spend the bulk of our time this week talking about the New York City Marathon and the incredible performances that we saw there. You'll hear me say this again in a few minutes, but the men's and the women's races were both amazing, and they were totally different from one another. And so we look forward to discussing each one of those in turn. Don't forget, you can get in on the conversation with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast. If you want to send us an email, you can send one to the podcast itself at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can send me one specifically, george at itlcoaching.com, or you can send one to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. So glad to be with you today. We have Patrick on the phone. We've been trying really hard to make sure that we get podcasts out, that we we stay consistent with it. I have a race this weekend on Sunday, so we're not going to be recording on Sunday. We're recording this a couple days early on Friday, uh, and that meant that Patrick had to get together with the phone. But um, glad you're able to be with us, Patrick. I always enjoy it. Always a pleasure talking to you, George. Right on, right on. Well, it's it's news day, or it's it's the week when we normally talk about news, and so um, the biggest piece of news we want to talk about, the biggest single piece of news we want to talk about was, of course, the New York City Marathon. The New York City Marathon was a couple of weeks ago. It was on uh, November 4th, um, Sunday, November 4th, and uh, it set a new record for the, uh, the largest marathon ever run. Uh, 53,121 people started the race at the Verrazano Narrows Bridge on Staten Island. Out of those, 52,812 athletes made it across the finish line in Central Park. Uh, that's 99.4% completion rate, which, side note on that, Patrick, I don't know what the completion rate is for marathons, for most for the average marathon. A 99.4 completion rate seems incredible, actually. Um, but anyway, uh, that's a record. The, uh, the previous high was from the year that I ran it, 2016, when we had 51,388 people finish. So uh, 52,812 folks finishing the New York City Marathon. Amazing. Um, 129 countries represented, 50 states, plus the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. They were all represented there. Um, I, I've said before, the New York City Marathon, uh, I like it because it feels like you're in New York. But a lot of the, the, the profile of the marathon feels like New York as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I've never run it, but even just watching it on TV, you can tell it's New York City. Right, right. And I mean, and the, the fact that it's the, the largest marathon in the world, that, I mean, you know, New York is so big and so overwhelming in its size. Um, and then, and then there, I am certain that there are at least 129 different countries represented in the population of New York City, and I am sure that there are people from all 50 states plus the District of Columbia and certainly Puerto Rico that now live in New York City. And so, you know, the the, the population of the race represents the population of the city or, or reflects the population of the city, which I think is super cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, on, on, a, on a related note, I thought this was interesting. There have been uh, 1,229,354 total New York City marathon finishers all time. And you, really? Over a million? Yeah, 1.229 million. Uh, and you are not one of them, Mr. Ollinger. That is, that is correct. <laughs> I am not. It's on the bucket list. Yes, it is. But... Uh, it's one that's eluded me so far. Yeah, if you listen to our bucket list podcast last last week, uh, 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 Patrick did mention that, that that's one of the ones he wants to do, and of course I mentioned that it was one of my favorites. So, uh, very good, very good. Well, let's talk about it. You want to talk about the men's race or the women's race first? Uh, we can start with the women's race. Yeah. So so in New York, it was like it was it was kind of like Chicago, and when we talked about the Chicago Marathon, when we recapped that, we talked about how at the Chicago Marathon you had two really fun and interesting races to watch but they were fun and interesting for completely the opposite reason you had the same thing in new york um in new york you had a you had a men's race that was really tight and like literally came down to to the last mile before there was a sprint finish in the women's race you had one woman go off the front in the back half of the race and run 
a devastating back half of the race, um, such that that really made a statement and just ran away from everybody. Um, and so, if we're talking mm-hmm. about the women's race first, that that woman was Mary Katani. Um, she took her mm-hmm. fourth New York City Marathon win in five years. Uh, she did the second fastest time in the history of the women's open division. She ran two twenty two forty eight. Um, the fastest time of all time is by Margaret Okeo, uh, and she uh, she was just uh, Mary Katani was just 17 seconds behind Margaret Okeo's 2003 record. Um, you know, watching the race, they they started off not slowly but very conservatively. Uh, the women did. Uh, they they only went through halfway at 1:15:49, um, and so watching that, it's kind of like, oh well, you know, it's going to be a more tactical race this year, and they're they're not really going to get anywhere within remote. Uh, area or remote zone of the uh, the 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 course record there, and then Mary Katani closed so fast that uh, that she recorded the second fastest time in event history and was only 17 seconds behind that 2003 record. Did you uh, did you watch it, Patrick? Yeah, I, I mean, I I certainly watched it and rewatched it too, even on you know various channels. But the amazing part of that race was. I mean, she held a sub-world record marathon pace on the back half of the race. Yeah, way on sub. On a tough course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the back half of New York City is, it's, 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 it's arguably harder than the first half, but it's certainly not easy. It's not a flat back half. Yeah. Um, she, to, to your point, so they went through halfway in one fifteen forty nine, and there was eight women in contention at that point, including three Americans, Molly Huddle, Des Linden, and Shalane Flanagan. Um, and then uh, three women, Katani um, and Gudetta and Tola, two other women, uh, broke away by running 5.14 for the 14th mile. So so threw down a 514 for that 14th mile and then in the 17th mile they threw down a 455 um and Gudetta ended up falling off Katani's pace and ended up dropping out of the race. Um Tola uh ended up uh just completely falling apart in the last uh, uh couple of kilometers uh just trying to stay with Mary Katani. Uh, Mary Katani didn't really back off from 25 kilometers to 30 kilometers. That five kilometer split, she ran a 15-19 5K split, um, and then uh, supremely comfortable. She she ended up uh, doing the next 5K in 15:34. Um, that meant that, that she ended up having a second half of 106.58, uh, which was the fastest ever back half of a marathon ever recorded in a women's marathon. Uh, she crossed the finish line in 2:22:48, like we said, adding to the titles that she won in 2014, 2015, and 2016. The fastest second half of a marathon ever run. Um, amazing. 106.58. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 106.58. I mean, there are just so many different angles to look at this. So first of all, just for the kind of the, you know, for the amateur, more everyday runner, you know, who's maybe not going for, you know, a victory at a New York City marathon, this does put another dent in the argument of banking time, right? And that's what oh, yeah. we talk about often on this podcast, where uh, not only did she not bank time, she was running 15-minute 5Ks at the end of the race. Right. Um, now, obviously, you know, the times are not going to be, comp- you know, apples to oranges with, you know, an, an elite, you know, runner and, and runners like, you know, you and me are, you know, just kind of going a bit more for our time or our um, PRs. But it... It really shows, you know, what can be capable. Like, if you're in shape to run a fast time, you can continue to run strong at the end of the race. It is, it, you don't have to try to bank time before you hit the 20-mile mark or the 21 or 22-mile mark and then, you know, hope for the best afterwards. You can really kind of run a strong race, you know, all the way through. Yeah. Uh, that is kind of humanly possible, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, without going too deep into that, it, it, I felt like that was one big takeaway is, it is fascinating just how how fast you did that second half, and it shows that this is the marathon is not a race of who will slow down the least. It can actually be a race of who speeds up the most, um, which is which is a, a different take than than what a lot of people or a different approach a lot of people take to the marathon. Yeah, I totally agree, and it's it's um, you know now to to push back just a little bit, even though I totally agree with you, I, I, can, I can hear somebody who's listening to our podcast right now saying, well, you know, if she would have started off a little bit faster, she would have gotten that 17 more seconds in order to break M- Margaret Okeo's 2003 record. Or if she would have started off a little bit faster, maybe she would have gotten Paula Radcliffe's 215 world record on this day because she looks so strong and so powerful. Um, no, 
Um, <laughs> I mean, she, yeah. she, she, she could have potentially started off a little bit faster and potentially gotten that course record. Yeah. Um, but, but there, there, there's a, there's a point of diminishing returns here. Um, and so, so the reason why she was able to close so strong is because she did start very, very conservatively and very much within herself. And, and it's not just this race, but it's race after race after race. Um, Elliot Kipchoge at the Berlin Marathon is yet another example that, that, um, that, that, Negative. The, the the fastest races are almost always run with negative splits. Um, and we talked about that. We talked about that after the Berlin Marathon. You recall that that seven of the last ten world records in the men's marathons have been run with negative splits. Um, that's the way to run fast. That's the way to do it. Um, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Very and good. you know, it's a, it's it's a bit of a different math for someone running a two hour marathon versus a four hour marathon. But the 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 basic takeaway remains the same, and exactly. that is, if you're in shape to run a certain pace, you can run it throughout the race. Exactly. Totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. Now, her back half. So let's talk a little bit more. While we're, since we're already talking about the back half, let, let, let's let's talk a little bit more about that. Let's put it a little bit in, in even more perspective. Her back half. Now, remember, she ran she ran 106.58 for the back half. So just under 107 for 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 the back half, which is incredible. Um, 106.58. That's faster than the American record for half marathon. Um, Molly Huddle set the American record for the half marathon um, a few months ago and ran about 30 seconds or so slower than that, ran in the mid-107s there. Um, and so Americatani runs the first half of the New York City Marathon and then comes back at faster than the American record for the half marathon. Um, aside from Katani, there was only two women um, in, uh, in history that have run faster in an open half marathon than Katani ran at the New York City Marathon. Uh, Mamidou Daska has run 66.27, um, and Netsanet Gudetta, who was in the race, um, uh, ran, has run 66.11. Um, those are the only people uh, in the race that had ever run faster in an open half marathon than Katani ran for her second half. Um, if you even kind of go a little bit farther, um, the American record for 10K on the roads is 30.52, and that was run by Shalane Flanagan a couple of years ago. Katani split 30.53 from 25K to 35K. So she was just one second off of the American record for the road 10K, um, even though that section has a little bit of downhill in it, but but nonetheless, um, I mean, it's just it's just kind of incredible. Um, and then to me, the, the, the sort of crowning thing to say about that, uh, that, that back half of the race is that it was, I think, the sixth fastest back half of any runner in the entire race. And so... Correct. So so Cam Rohrer, who finished third in the men's race, uh, Kitata, who finished second in the men's race, um, uh, Lisa DeSisa, who finished first in the men's race, they all had back halves that were faster than she did, as well as a couple of other men, and that was it. So five of the pro men ran faster than Mary Katani did in the back half of the race, and that was it. She ran the sixth fastest back half of any athlete in the entire race. Um, so yeah, the the degree to which she turned it on is is mind blowing. Um, you know, case in point, Shalane Flanagan said afterwards. She said, "I don't have the physical capability to have any answer for that." <laughs> um, Molly yeah. Huddle, Molly Huddle uh, said, "Holy crap, that's not just a fast second half. It's amazing." Uh, Des Linden said, "I don't know if I can say the words in here." Um, they were all just, they were as blown away by it as we were. I mean, it was an incredible thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, the rest of us should almost take our cue from the way Shailene Flanagan and Molly Huddle talked about Katani's performance, and they were just talking about her in such glowing terms. Um, because, I mean, this really was something that was almost unimaginable in many ways. And it, you know, it, it definitely kind of puts her in the conversation for, you know, the greatest of all time. It kind of puts her in that elite class of, like, this is really an, not just an elite level runner, but an elite among the elites. For sure, yeah. And go ahead. I'll just say, and you know, when we talk about you know the 2020 Olympics, whenever we, and whenever we talk about major marathons heading up to the Olympics, we definitely have to consider her one of the favorites now. Yeah. Now she's older, um, which is mm-hmm. um, that, that matters. I want to say that she's she's 36 or 37 years old, and when she got mm-hmm. beaten last year in New York by Shalane Flanagan, a lot of people are like, up. Oh, it's the beginning of the end for Katani. Um, and so her coming back so strongly in the back half of this marathon, 
is, is really a strong answer to anybody who was saying that she was done. <laughs> um, she ain't yeah. done. Um, but that being said, and as somebody who has gone through his late 30s and into his 40s, it, it, it does make you wonder, okay, does she have, does she have two more good years? Um, and so, yeah. um, so we'll see. I mean, even if she doesn't have two more, even if she does begin a slide today, um, the fact that she, like, like how much is she going to slide? You know what I mean? I mean, so, oh, she might be yeah. only able to close in 108 next time. You know what I mean? Um, and so, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud, but, but, um, so it's, it's hard to say her future prospects as far as the Olympics go, but, um, she's was so far and above the field today or, or at New York city a couple of weeks ago that, that, yeah, it's, it stands to reason that, that even if she does slide a little bit with, with aging here, that she would still have a little bit of a buffer. Um, but I agree with you that we need to put her in that. Um, the the greatest of all time conversation, by the way, the, the it's generally considered that Paula Radcliffe, who's the world record holder and has run 215 and had a world championship um, in, uh, in the, the marathon, but never an Olympic championship, um, that, that she's kind of the greatest of all time. And then the other is Catherine Indereba. Um, who uh, who won New York and won Boston um, and won some silver medals uh, at the the Olympic level, uh, two I think at the Olympic level. Um, they're considered like the greatest of all time. Mary Katani, the thing that's really missing from her resume um, is a championship marathon. She's won some world marathon majors. I mean, like we said, this is her fourth time winning New York in five years. Um, but but she hasn't won an Olympic or a world championship medal. So that's the, kind of the one big thing that's missing from the greatest of all time do you know what i mean um and so yeah. so so yeah i mean and, and and that being said maybe that means that she'll focus on that over the course of the next short while here um a couple other kind of quick things to say about the women's race here since we're, we're talking about this um uh needless to say um given the fact that she did close so incredibly uh, there are some people who are saying it's too good to be true um, that, that there's no way she must be drugged, something else like that, um, that she was in fact on the decline last year when she was beaten by Shalane Flanagan. Um, but, uh, but this is too good to be true. It's important to point out, this is two minutes behind her best time for half marathon. Um, you got to remember also, this was five minutes slower than her best time for marathon. Right. Um, and so, right. so, you know, she has run a two seventeen, And so to go out in one fifteen which is 2.30 pace, was not going to drain her a great deal. And then she came back in the back half running two minutes slower than her time for an open half marathon. Uh, Shalane Flanagan, it should be pointed out, who ended up finishing third in the race, she finished about, her back half was about two minutes slower than her open half marathon PR as well. Uh, Desi Linden, uh, another American in the top 10, she finished sixth, I think it was. Um, she was only 90 seconds slower than her PR for half marathon in the back half. And then Allie Kiefer, who ended up finishing 10th, um, she was uh, less than 60 seconds uh, slower than her open half marathon PR. Um, and so so to suggest that, oh, well, you know, there's no way anybody could run this fast, you have to kind of look at it in context. She ran two minutes slower than her open half marathon PR. And there are other people in the top 10, including the three Americans, all of whom ran that much slower or even less slow, less slow, than their their half marathon PR. So, um, so to me, just looking at the time in a vacuum is not uh, is not convincing that that, that that is an illegitimate time. Um, so we I, should, I would agree uh, with that. Yeah. And it, you some of your stats. So I had I had heard the argument about well, is this clean? Or I heard some of the questions. I had not dove into some of the stats that you pointed out. Yeah, but I would say they definitely point towards a, an effort that was consistent with. Or at least consistent enough with previous performances. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and, and I think you look at it and it's mind blowing. And you know, even Shalane and Desi and, and Molly, when they were talking about it, talked about how mind blowing it was. It is mind blowing. It's incredible, but it, it's not. W when you look at somebody who might be on drugs, what you should be looking at is something that is completely out of line with what they've done in the past. If somebody yeah. just just um, came out of nowhere and did this. Um, that's when you would say, wait a second, um, you can improve on this level. And we'll be talking about something related to that in a few minutes here. But um, so, so to me, it's it falls in line, like you say, with what she's capable of doing. Um, so, so we should also say, uh, you know, behind her, <laughs> and so so she she ran away. She she destroyed the field uh, in the back half there. 
Um, behind her, uh, Vivian Chariot came through second and 2.26.02, um, so nearly four minutes down. Uh, it was her New York City debut. Uh, Shalane Flanagan, um, uh, who won last year, of course, uh, took third place in 2.26.22. Um, Shalane Flanagan's time of 2.26.22 was 31 seconds faster than the time that she ran last year to win. Um, so last year she ran 2.26.53 to win. This year she ran 2.26.22 to come in second, and she was four minutes behind, which, again, just shows how incredible um, that back half was. And she, they were together at halfway, um, and, and Mary Katani put four minutes on her in the back half of the race. Um, Molly Huddle ran 226.44. That was her personal best. She came in fourth place. Uh, Tusa, who we mentioned before, who was just shelled by uh, trying to hang on to Katani, ended up finishing fifth. Uh, Des Linden finished sixth. Um, and then another American, Allie Kiefer, uh, ended up coming in 10th. So we had four American women in the top 10. Um, she was 10th in 228.12. Allie Kiefer ran faster than she did last year. Uh, this was a new PR for her. Uh, but she was a little bit disappointed with her race because she was 5th last year and she was 10th this year. So even though she ran faster, she was actually a little bit disappointed with her race because her placing dropped down about five places there. Um, Allie Kiefer, who we talked about a little bit uh, in the in the run-up to the race. So, so yeah. Um other things to say about the women's race, Patrick? Yes. Uh, I have one small takeaway and one big takeaway from the women's race. So the small takeaway is that Molly Huddle is for real in a way that I did not quite appreciate before this race. Right on. I love Molly Huddle. (laughs) So She had a good good race. I agree with you. She had a really good race. And I I was psyched to see that because I I, I feel like she's been, been, we've been wanting to see her have a good race, and she did. And I was happy about that. that's exactly right. She's always been like a very good runner, kind of a, on that cusp. Now it's she's in the conversation for like the Olympic trials in a much stronger way than she was. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a marathoner, as a marathoner, yeah. She yeah. I mean, she holds the American record in the in the ten k. I mean, so she's a great track runner and a great shorter distance runner. But yeah, I, I'm I'm I was psyched to see her have um, such a great marathon. Um, and and I, go ahead. And I think that's part of the reason why I was so skeptical. I'm a big believer that you really need to pick one specialty. At, at that level, you need to be a 10K runner, you need to be a, a miler, you need to be a marathon, and really just pick one and, and go after that one specific race. So her kind of um, you know changing specialties, so to speak, is where my hesitancy came from. But I have to say she certainly um, showed some serious metal in this race, and she's going to be an interesting one to follow over the next two years. Yeah, you know, and 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 that that ties back to something we talked about a couple of weeks ago that I think is really interesting, and that's about uh, when people when we were talking about New York City and we were talking about how you know where are the men right now, the American men, um, and we were talking about how how not a lot of American men go into the marathon when they're early enough to be able to be able to run a marathons when they're in their prime. That that a lot of yeah. them. They run 5Ks and 10Ks on the track, and then when they start to fade in the 5K and 10K, that's when they go into the marathon. And it's like, wow, if they would have done it two years earlier, they could have learned the marathon a little bit more. And then when they hit that peak, they would have been a marathon runner and not a not a 10K on the track person. And so, you know, you can apply that same sort of thing to Molly Huddle. Um, you know, she ran the American record in 2016 at Rio um, in that blazingly fast, probably the greatest women's 10,000 meter race of all time. Um, and she, she, uh, was super impressive in that race. Um, so she was clearly very fit at the time she ran the American record. Well, what if she would have run her first marathon when she was 2014 and, and rather than kind of moving up to the marathon in the latter part of her career, she would have done it in, and she, she would have tried to run the Olympic marathon in 2016, um, when she was in, uh, still had that much speed and that much, that much ability. Um, yeah, don't know. I mean, we don't know the answer to that. I, I, I do hope that she still has more marathon in front of her. But um, but the I've, I've thought a lot over the course of the past couple of weeks after you and I talked about it um, two weeks ago about when people move into the marathon and the idea of waiting until you're done running fast 5Ks and 10Ks and then going into the marathon and about how that might not be the best approach. Um, I've thought a lot about that. But. Hey, absolutely, and that is a big reason why the women – American women tend to, are taken off right now in terms of the women's marathon and the marathon team. Yeah, because you have because you have so, more, more women who are going into it when they're in the peaks of their careers, as opposed to you know, you know waiting until they're done on the track and then going into the marathon. Yeah. 
Um, right. Very good. Um, so on a on a related note, related to the race, um, uh, is this Shalane Flanagan's last race? I mean, we've been asking that since that last was, year. So is that the other thing you were going to say? Go ahead and talk about it. It is exactly. Um, so I'm going to make the case for why it is her last race, and then I'm going to make the case for why it's not, and we'll see if we can <laughs> come to, and act, then actually make a guess. That 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 way, um, regardless of what the outcome is, we can be like, man, Patrick, he really knows his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you're you're catching on to my tricks, George. Brilliant. brilliant. Um, so, in, in a lot of the pre-race interviews, she seemed to be setting up for this being a swan song, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of talk about, you know, how it's going to be great to return to New York, and there almost seemed to be a lot of talk about how great last year's New York race was and about how this year it's not so much, you know, about getting that big victory, but returning to the place where she had such a great race last year. And it just seemed to have an overall feel of, someone who has, has said, okay, I've, I've been the athlete I need to be. I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. And now I'm going to kind of move forward to the next stage of my career. Yeah. Um, another kind of big, you know, argument for why this could be her last race is she was able to get on the podium and have an impressive race. Yeah. You know, this was a race that was worthy of a final race or a final send-off. This was, sure. uh, you know, a race where she could say, you know what? I'm going out on top. It's a nice cap to a beautiful career, and now she can move on without the stress or the worry of you know things falling apart here at the end. For sure. You know, if she if she were to move on and not be you know a runner anymore, so to speak, or you know kind of go for the big wins, you know she could certainly go into coaching with the Bowerman Track Club as she's already doing to some degree already. Yeah. So this is this is not you know an athlete who doesn't have something else you know, waiting for them in the wings. She has the cookbooks, um, which, you know, she's, you know, written and promoted for the last few years. And quite honestly, I hope she goes into broadcasting, hmm. you know, sometime soon. Um, she did an excellent job with the Boston Marathon call when she did that in 2016 or 2017. I can't remember what year she did that. So, and as you know, having watched these races on, on NBC, we certainly need a runner in the broadcast booth, <laughs> someone who you know, go in there and race these races, and she would be perfect at it. That's a good point. So, I, I, would, I would worry that she tends to be bad about dropping in references to UNC and the Tar Heels and stuff like that whenever she's uh, whenever I hear her on podcasts and stuff. So, yeah, if she's going to do that in the broadcast booth, maybe not. But or I, 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 might, I might be able to suck it up and, and get through a couple of, uh, uh, of praising references for the Tar Heels uh, for the sake of all the other good things I'm sure that she would have to say. <laughs> Uh-huh. That AC Steel rivalry still uh, runs deep in you, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, it's she did say when they interviewed her after the race, and of course this was a question people were asking her before the race and after the race, um, and, and she didn't say anything uh, committal or anything definitive, um, but she did say something to the effect of, it's time for me to really start thinking about serving other people in this sport. Um, and, yeah. and that, to me, feels more like... Um, more like a statement of, of, hey, this is the last one than any other thing that she said. Um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, the, the, well, I, I, w- I want to hear what you say on the other side. Um, I, I, I sense that, and for the same reasons you described, I sense that this is probably her last race, but I'm interested to hear what you say about the, the, the possible reasons why it might not be. What do you think about that? Yeah. So before getting to why not, I will say too, I don't expect you to announce a potential retirement for a little while. Even if it's something she's planning right now, I think she probably has to renegotiate her Nike contract, maybe negotiate, you know, a media-related deal or something like that. Yeah, she but wants, I have a feeling wants to kind of get things together, like 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 set the next step. Exactly. I believe Tony Romo did this in the NFL where he signed the broadcast deal and then said, okay, now I'm done with playing mm-hmm. um, or done being an athlete. Now I have this waiting. Yeah. So That's the, 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 argument for her, the argument for her staying, I think, is essentially that – she could still represent the United States in the Olympic marathon in 2020. Hmm. I mean, she would still probably be the number one seed heading into the marathon trials here in a few years. Now, as you, you know, um, as you mentioned with Katani, the question is that she have two more good years left, but at, at this point, this, she does not have the look or feel of someone who's on the decline or fighting off the decline in a severe way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And, I, I, I think that, I don't think she's a shoe in though. I mean, if you if you 
I mean, if you consider Molly Huddle, if you consider Sarah Hall, if you consider um, uh, Ali Kiefer, if you consider um, uh, Des Linden, uh, Des Linden, if you consider Gwen Jorgensen, um, if you consider who else was I thinking of? Amy Cragg, um, you know, who won the trials last time. I mean, she she's by no means a shoe in. I mean, I I, th- I think she's a shoe in for the top ten, but but she'd have to have a good race. Um, and she'd have to have a good two years of training to, to qualify for the race. So February 29th, 2020 is when the Olympic trials are, by the way, they're on, they're on the leap year day, whatever you call February 29th. But, um, uh, so yeah, between now and February 29th, would she be able to, to do the training? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, cause she's definitely not a shoe in. Um, I, I, I would add I- to go ahead. I would say, so what would be your guess? Or you can go ahead and add another point if you'd like. So, so, so the other thing that I would say that that might not point to her being done just yet is this Boston Marathon itch that I know she has. Um, you know, she's from Marblehead, Massachusetts. She grew up watching the Boston Marathon. And again, and you've talked about this, and we've talked about this a lot of times on this podcast, the Boston Marathon serves a really distinctive place in the culture of New England. Um, and particularly in the culture of of Boston and Metro Boston. She grew up in Metro Boston, watching this race, seeing this race, going to cheer for it long before she was ever going to be a runner even. And so it's it's hard for me to imagine her not saying, you know what, I want to give it one more shot at Boston. Um, And so so that to me, if, if she was saying the same things that she was saying after New York, after Boston, I'd be like, nope, she's done. She's not coming back. Um, but, but I, I, I can't imagine she's not going to try and give Boston just one more try next April. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, like I said, she, she's definitely pointing more towards it than I, than, than I feel like she was before, but it's just hard for me to imagine her going out with New York rather than going out with Boston. We'll see. Um, what do you think about that? You may have convinced me. I, I, I came into this podcast <laughs> this recording thinking this was it, but you make a good point that she may make Boston her swan song in 2019. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think she'll make it to 2020. I don't think that's her, her long-term play. I, I hope so, so but I, I think it's going to be 2019 Boston or, or bust. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that would be great. Um, a couple other quick things to say about it. Um, one, uh, the, the, about the women's race. And then of course we still have to talk about the men's race. Uh, one is, uh, the, the headline of the New York times the day after. Did you see that? I did not know. Um, and so the headline of the, of the New York times the next, the, the, the next day. And of course, here we are, we've been talking for half an hour about how incredible Mary Katani was and, and perhaps one of the greatest of all time. And again, she was not an unknown person in New York City. This is her fourth time winning over the course of the past five years um, at that race. Um, but the headline the next day in the paper was a picture of her essentially kind of running under a bridge. And, of course, there was nobody else in the picture because you know she won by several minutes. Um, but the headline was not Katani runs incredible race. Uh, you know, Katani takes her fourth win. Katani just misses uh, a course record, anything of like that. The headline was winner leaves the pack out of the picture. Um, it didn't even name her. <laughs> and it's, and it's not like you can even say, oh, well, they maybe they didn't have enough inches. Katani only has one more letter in it than winner does. And so why not Katani leaves the pack out of the picture? Um, you know, on, on let's run.com, uh, somebody wrote, you wouldn't say golfer beats the rest of the field. <laughs> you know, um, if, huh. if, you know, if, if, if Roger Federer won a, won a tennis, uh, 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 tournament, you wouldn't say, you know, tennis player, uh, wins tournament again. You, know, you, you wouldn't say that. You would name them. Um, and the fact that they didn't name her, at the very least, was disrespectful to her. Um, there were some people that had a, a, a little bit deeper uh, analysis of it that actually said it, it was potentially racist in the fact that, that it, it, it painted all Africans with a single brush. Oh, it's just another African winning here. Um, and not recognizing her distinctiveness, her individuality, and, and uh, the fact that not only did she run a masterful race, but this was her fourth time running a masterful race for the win in New York City. Um, so some of y'all might have seen that. Um, uh, and then the other thing I do want to mention as well here, um, having to do with uh, with the, the, the women's race, uh, Katani, Mary Katani, in her bu- brilliant race, she was the only person of, that finished on the podium 
um, of the six people that finished on the podium, top three men, top three women, she was the only person who was not wearing Vaporfly 4%. Vaporfly. <laughs> yeah, she was, right. she, she, she's sponsored by Adidas. She was wearing a pair of Adidas Takumi Sin uh, racing flats that are... Um, I think you can buy them on Run and Warehouse, but but um, you they they don't sell them in stores here in the United States. Um, they're similar to the Adidas Adios, um, which I've worn. I wore an uh, Ironman Cordelina a few years ago, um, but uh, it's it's kind of the a, a slightly lighter version of their of their uh, marathon racing flat. Um, and so, lest you think you can only win in the Vaporflies, uh, Mary Katani has shown that that you don't have to solely be wearing Vaporflies to to to, to win. However, it should also be pointed out. The other five people who finished on the podium were all wearing them. <laughs> um, and so Patrick and I are going to have more to say about Vaporflies once we both have run marathons in them. Um, but, uh, but but yeah, I look forward to, to having that conversation again later on. Um, do you have anything to say about that or do you want to talk about the men's race? Uh, nothing too much. I mean, it's really interesting that the winner was the one person not wearing the Vaporflies. But overall, they clearly are making an impact on the elite field. For sure. Uh, at least, if, even if they're not making an impact on the elite field, their presence is known. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a better way of saying it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the men's race. Three men: Lalisa Decisa, Shura Katata, and Jeffrey Cam Rohrer. Um, they ran the second, the third, and the fourth fastest times in race history to finish in the top three there, and they finished fairly close together: two hundred five fifty nine, two hundred six hundred one, and two hundred six twenty six. So top three come in within thirty seconds of one another. Super exciting race, like I said. Um, literally the opposite of the of the women's race the rather than having one woman just devastate the field and run away with it in the back half by running the fastest back half that anybody's ever run instead you had this super close men's race that that literally came down to the last turn back into the park and to go up the hill uh there beyond the 26 mile mark so um but yeah uh jeffrey cam Rohrer, who is the defending champion as a matter of fact won in 2017 finished third his time would have won the the New York City Marathon every other year besides this year, save for one year. Um, and so, That's just so, brutal. Yeah, no, it's and it's um, and and you could you could make the argument. I mean, he ran a lot faster this year than he did when he won last year uh, to finish third. And one can make the argument this was probably he's run a couple of other uh, and finished on the podium a couple of other times at, in New York City. This was probably his best run in New York City, even though it's the lowest that he's finished there when he ran 206.26. Um, so the men ran as a pack with uh, with Shura Katata trying to break away in that first half. They went through halfway in 103.55, um, and so they went through halfway a little bit more in line with what you would kind of expect them to go through halfway in. So not blazing through halfway, um, but not holding back a lot like the women evidently were. Um, and when they hit the, the halfway mark, there was uh, five men together. Um, Lisa DeCisa, Tamarit Tola, uh, Jeffrey Camor, a Kenyan named Festus Talam, and of course Shira Katata, who was leading the race at that point. Uh, they sped up from 25K to 30K with a 14-36 split, um, and Talam and Tola lost contact. Um, and then, so at that point, it was just three guys together, Lisa DeCisa, Shira Katata, and Jeffrey Camor. They got to the 23rd mile, um, and leading up to the hardest hill on the course, which is from 23 to 23 and a half on Fifth Avenue there, they ran the 23rd mile. DeCisa and Cam Rohr threw down a 429 mile uh, for that 23rd mile, and Katata ended up falling off the pace. Um, around the 25-mile mark, DeCisa then made a move, and, and notably, when he made his move, he pulled his hat off and he threw it down, which I thought was just baller. Um, but, uh, but he was able to, to, to distance Cam Rohrer, um, and he pulls away from him. So you're thinking, okay, that was the move of the race to Cesus now pulled away. Who then shows up, but Shura Katata. He ends up coming back. He blows past Cam Rohrer and right at the part where you leave the park in that 26th mile, you, you literally leave the park and you run down South Park Avenue at one point. Um, he just flies down that, that road there. And he got right up behind DeCisa as they made the final turn back into the park just before the 26-mile mark. And then DeCisa somehow held him off um, and ends up winning by, by two seconds. And so uh, super exciting race just in terms of, of, of watching the way that the entire thing unfolded there. Um, what would you think? Uh, I think my one big takeaway from that race was DeCisa won the race, but Katata almost made the race with his moves and, you know, kind of the aggressiveness with, with which he kind of went for the win there. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and I mean, definitely too. It's never over till it's over, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, Katata was when they they dropped him by doing that that four twenty nine twenty third mile. I mean, and he was he was basic. He could have just kind of packed it and been like, all right, third on the podium at the New York City Marathon. Pretty good, you know. Um, yeah, and and you have a good reason. Like, hey, they just dropped that four twenty nine twenty third mile. Yeah, Great. right. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Nobody would have said. Yeah, yeah, nobody would have criticized him for not being able to come back after that, right? And then they they they, they go back into the park, and he comes roaring back. Um, and it, that when you saw him come roaring back down South Park Avenue, it's like, holy crap, Katata's going to win. He's going to just kind of come out of nowhere and run him down. But then it was still not over because DeCisa then holds him off. Um, and so, yeah, never over till it's over, man. Uh, super impressed by that. Um, yeah, very, very impressed by that. I also, like I said, the, the baller move that DeCisa made right there at 25 miles where, where he moved into the lead and he threw off his hat. Um, the, the marathon that I'm running this weekend, it's supposed to be about 35 degrees at the start, but 34 degrees at the start. And so I have to wear a hat to start. I'm, I'm hoping to do a similar baller move and throw down my hat at some point. We'll see. Maybe there'll be a photographer there. I doubt it. Uh, I'm going to say, please wait for a photographer to do that. <laughs> I would love to see those race pictures. Yeah, I'm going yeah, I'm, I'm to miss my goal because I'm going to be so intent on trying to find a photographer to throw the hat down in front of. I'll get a brilliant picture, but yeah, I'll probably miss my goal by several minutes. Yeah, probably not worth it. Um, let's see. Cam Rohr, like we said, was third. Uh, defending champion was third. Uh, Tola ends up finishing fourth. Uh, a Kenyan named Daniel Wenjiro uh, comes up and ends up uh, rounding out the top five. Uh, Jared Ward uh, from Utah was the top finisher of the United States. He finished sixth in 212. And then three other Americans came in right after him. Uh, Scott Fauble finished seventh in 212.28. Um, really closing strong, actually, Fauble did, and, uh, and nearly ran down Jared Ward. Uh, Shadrach Biwak was ninth in uh, in 212 also, and then Chris Derrick was 10th in 213.08. Um, and so, so yeah, you had four Americans come in, 6th, 7th, 9th, and 10th, all within a minute of one another there. Um, and they actually ran together for a lot of it. When the, uh, when the pace started to drop there near the halfway point, uh, they kind of got together with one another and, and, and worked together to try and, and stay strong throughout the race. Um, so, yeah, impressive. Impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be four. Yeah, and it, it was, Go ahead. I'll just say, too, just to add a, a little bit about the CISA, it was nice to see him have a good performance because mm-hmm. he's been a, a fine runner, and he, you know, over the last few years. But he he's, hasn't won, he's won Boston a couple to, times, yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to say, he hasn't really lived up to that standard he set it when he won Boston in 2013 and 2015. It's yeah. just It's been a few years before he had a performance like this. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see him do that, um, to come out and win the New York City Marathon. And you know, have kind of another gold standard race, you know, one he hasn't really seen since about 2015 or so. Yeah, you know, he's won Boston twice. He's finished on the podium three times at the New York City Marathon, so he's clearly a brilliant runner. But I I think the thing that he's kind of best known for inside running circles now it's for being the guy who blew it in breaking two. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, so in, in, in the breaking two project, that Nike project that they did last year um, with Elliot Kipchoge and with Lisa DeSisa and with Zerzane Tedezi, they had those three guys and they said, these are the three guys that we think have the potential to break two hours. Um, and they did all these tests and put all this money into it and all that sort of thing. And then Elliot Kipchoge, brilliantly, because he's the greatest marathoner of all time, runs two hours flat and 24 seconds. Um, right. Um, but, uh, right. and then, then Zerzane Tezezi ends up running like 206 after starting off really hard, which for him was a PR and which was pretty good because he wasn't a very experienced marathoner. Um, but then you had Lisa DeSisa who had been injured in the last few weeks of the build. He had something that was bothering him. And so he went out gamely, um, but ended up falling off the pace pretty early on around like 10 K went ahead and finished the marathon there in Monza during the breaking two project, but ran 214. And so the, the, if you watch the documentary of the Breaking Two Project, the the takeaway you have in terms of Lisa DeSisa is he's not all that great, um, and and so, and and that's unfair, and that's totally unfair, um, and so I was glad to see him have not only a good race and take the win in New York City, um, but also such a such a gutsy and gritty race um, to not uh, back off there and and not get run down in the in the last half mile of the race, you know, he was able to hold off, uh, Katata as Katata was closing, um, like a, like a freight train. Um, so yeah, I, I was, I was definitely glad, very happy to see that too. Um, 
it's always fun to see a good race too. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. al- it's it's always fun to watch the replay and to be out of your seat and cheering and stuff. Uh, as everybody knows, we were recording the podcast during the actual live broadcast, so I had to go back and w- watch the replays. Um, and it was they were fun to watch. Um, I'll probably watch the the replay of the last mile or so of the uh, of the the New York City Marathon a couple more times over the course of the next little while here, just because uh, because it psyched me up and it was fun. Other thoughts on the men's race? Yeah, you can watch it before you start your new marathon or your marathon this weekend. That's right. That's right. Just before I check my phone into the bag check, I will watch it on YouTube, then stuff the phone in there, and then go. There we go. Uh, very good. You don't throw your hat down the first 5K. Wait until (laughs) later. You know, isn't that funny, though? Around, you know, the marathon, and and this is a digression, but that's okay. Uh, The marathon is so weird because, you know, you, you, you listen to your psych up music, you get excited, you get going. And then you have to really hold back for the first hour plus that you're running. You know, it's it's yeah. it's such a weird event like that, that that you want to get psyched. And in getting psyched, you have to hold back. You know, Ironman is even more that way. Um, even the people who, who are qualifying for Kona in an Ironman, you had to hold back for about eight hours. Eight hours you have to hold back. Um, you know, and, and so, so, yeah, you want to listen to some mood music and get going. But at the same time, don't listen to too much because if you end up just throwing down in the in the opening stages of the race, you're going to feel it in the latter stages of the race. It's not like a 5K or a mile or something else like that, you know. Um, but anyway, anyway, final words on on the New York City Marathon. Uh, it was another fun one. Uh, the New York City has delivered the last few years, and I'm already looking forward to the next one. Right on, man. Maybe you'll be in it. Maybe that could be a preview. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll see. Um, so let's talk about a couple other kind of quick things here. Um, uh, we're as I mentioned before, we're recording just a little bit early. We're recording on Friday, even though we're releasing it on Sunday. Here, uh, the NCAA championships, uh, cross country championships, are Saturday, um, and so. As I'm speaking, they're tomorrow. As it comes out, it was yesterday. And so um, next time we get together for a news, uh, news one, we'll be talking about uh, the, the NCAA cross-country championships. Uh, the Georgia Tech women's cross-country team qualified for the NCAA championships, and they will be competing up in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is where they're having the cross-country championships on November 17th. So the weather should definitely be a factor in that one. Um, look forward to seeing that. Also, a program note, um, the Ironman World Championships are going to be on TV. Like we talked about when we previewed Conan, we, we've talked about it a couple of times before. Um, uh, they don't. They tend to show the Ironman World Championships. They, they show them live. on. They stream them as they're happening. But then NBC records them and polishes them up and, and packages the race into about an hour and a half long special. Um, so that you don't, you know, they don't just broadcast the whole, you know, 16 hours of the race all over again. Um, and so they, uh, they, they, that will be showing. It premiered in New York City earlier this week, and Brenton Kyle Pease, who we've talked about so much, who, uh, who uh, became only the second push assist, assist team to finish uh, Kona uh, just this, this past year. Um, they, uh, they were invited to the premiere up in New York earlier this week. And so it's been shown, it's been broadcast, it's done. Uh, but it's actually going to be showing for everybody on NBC, on NBC at 4.30 on Saturday, November the 24th. So mark your calendar if you didn't have a chance to actually grab a pencil there. Uh, no, NBC, 4.30, Saturday, November 24th. So that's that's when, uh, when the Ironman World Championships are going to be on TV. Um, Last piece of news I wanted to make sure that we talked about, Patrick, was one that we actually missed last time, and I'm not going to apologize too much for missing it because I, you know, we were so fired up about the the New York City Marathon <laughs> that, that that we actually didn't talk about it. Um, but the thing that we didn't talk about was that at the Valencia Half Marathon on October 28th, there was a new world record in the half marathon. Did you see that? I sure did. Yeah, a guy named Abraham Kiptum uh, ran 58:18. Uh, for a new half marathon world record, um, it was a brilliant race. There were three men who ran under 59 minutes. That's only the third time that's ever happened. That three men have run under 59 minutes in the same race. Ten guys ran under 60 minutes. Nine of them were under 59.30 uh, in the same race, and that's that's never happened before. That's the the deepest and fastest a race has ever been before. Um, and so they were pushing Abraham Kiptum himself up front. Um, uh, he was not the only person to run super fast. There was a guy named Ethiopia named Jamal Yimer ran 58:33 for second, and that was the third fastest half marathon ever. Um, and so, so literally, he won in 58:18, broke the world record for the half marathon by 15 seconds. The guy who finished second 
tied what had been the world record. Um, so pretty incredible race there in Valencia. Um, worth mentioning, he was wearing vapor flies. Um, <laughs> but um, he's going to be doing, Abraham Kiptum is going to be doing the Abu Dhabi Marathon on December 7th. Um, he has not run particularly fast marathons up to this point, and so there's a lot of people that are looking with some sort of uh, suspicion on this uh, on this half marathon world record. But he has been very successful at shorter distances. And so we look forward to seeing what he's going to do at the Abu Dhabi Marathon on December 7th and whether this 58.18 will translate into something fast there. So we'll see. Words on that, Patrick, or final words in general? Uh, no kind of final words. I'm definitely looking forward to NCAA championships and, and seeing how the uh, Georgia Tech women do. Uh, they've Me really too, been man. building for – for a few years now, we get to see him actually many Sundays. We'll see him at Kennesaw running, so exactly. that kind of adds to it a little bit. That we, you know, and you and I actually both know some of the people involved in the program, so I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how it turns out for them. And let's hope that the Wisconsin weather is not too harsh up right there. On. But I'm sure there will be snow involved. Right on, yeah, I'm sure. And and you know, and there are some people that would say this is real cross country, and and I suppose there's an argument to be made for that. Um, uh, yeah, the the coach Alan Drosky, who was my coach when I was in college, his first full year of coaching at Georgia Tech um, was like my junior or senior year in high school, and so he was pretty much a brand new coach at Georgia Tech when I was there, um, and and we got along well, and I think he was a good coach for me. Um, and, and he is still the coach there now, even though it's been, you know, more than 20 years since I was graduated. Um, and so, uh, he, he has hired an assistant coach over the course of the past decade or so named Becky Megacy, who was, um, she was, her freshman year was my first year out. And so we had a lot of mutual friends and I know her well as well. And so, yeah, we always see them. And then, and then you're connected to one of the girls actually on the team, right? Don't, don't, don't you know her from church or something? Yeah, kind of wild. Um, her parents actually were, were big runners, and when I started running as like an eighth or ninth grader, they kind of took an interest in me. And then I, we were at the Kennesaw Run, and I saw her, and it, it had been several years since I'd seen her, um, since like when I was in high school or something, and she's now in college, just to give you an idea of the age gap. Mm-hmm. So that's always a kind of a made for a small world. Right on, right on. Yeah, so so go Yellow Jackets, and we, we look forward to seeing how that turns out for them. Um, and so we'll definitely report back on it in two weeks when we do our next news podcast. Well, that'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Patrick, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. All right, everybody. See you next time. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.